0: So good of you to join us again at the Gallery of Curiosities. Come in and make yourself comfortable. I am, as always, your host, Osgood. I'll have Stedman fetch us some refreshments. He's new on the staff around here, and it's time that he learns his place. Some news. I am pleased to announce that the spring issue of our companion magazine, Curiosities, is now available in both digital and traditional book formats. Proceeds help keep the lights on, as well as keep our authors and narrators happy. The editors, of course, will have to make do with what is left over, and my own benevolence. So, if you wish to assist in supporting the gallery, do stop by the web store at gallerycurious.com. You will find the purchase links for the format of your choice. And thank you for your patronage. Now, for this evening's story. I have heard it said that one cannot have a proper steampunk story without the requisite amount of Hardware. I think you'll not find this evening's tale lacking in, shall we say, heavy metal. It comes to us by way of Mr. Nelson Stanley. Mr. Stanley works in a library and lives in Cornwall in the UK. He has published fiction in several outlets, including the British Fantasy Award-winning anthology Extended Play from Elastic Press. It will have a story out soon in an anthology from Leith Press. It will be read for us by Mr. Wilson Fowley.
1: The Mark V Elegante by Nelson Stanley. Read by Wilson Fowley. Not a sport for the rich. Those curricles of gold and silver with the delicately jointed legs like a jeweler's wet dream, no. Ours was a more democratic sport. Curricle racing rescued from the upper class yahoos who invented it and reclaimed as a poor man's weekend jolly. An excuse to beat the living crap out of something and scare yourself to death. Plus, when we could get away with it, we'd pour cement into the chassis rails. Fill the crumple spaces along the bottom of the mechanism with quick-hardening resin. Find ever more ingenious ways to affix great lumps of pig iron across the front suspension turrets. Weld in braces all the way back through to the transmission tunnel. Reweld weld the bulkheads and inner wings over the top. Nothing to see here, Governor. Stock cherry, factory fitted, bog-standard cooking. Such a gig was spoken of derisively as being ironed up. No matter the measures taken to hide this, it was always a giveaway when your curricle jerked into another and opened it up like a giant tin opener, then reversed out of the wreckage with the machinery of your legs running true and the bonnet melded to the shape of the reinforcing underneath. Mashed metal stretched across the concreted seams, twisted bodywork finishing in a suspiciously straight line, a good two inches from the front of the gear wheels. Such practices invited disqualification and a certain degree of opprobrium in the pits later on. These days, of course, it's dying. Modern curricles are flimsy things designed to crumple and give so that you can walk over a pensioner and leave them with nothing but a light bruise. You really want something that, after colliding with a cow, will leave nothing but a smear on the paintwork. Such beasts are rare these days. I lament their passing, but when I lay me down to sleep my heart sings with the clicking and ratcheting of mighty gears, and my ears ring with the shriek of rusting metal, wadding and tearing like paper. Such dreams keep an old man happy and spread a warm glow along what's left of my limbs. She liked to smoke while I fixed up her gig sweet tendrils of cloying smoke gyring up to the blackened joists of the workshop in heavy coils. I never liked it, especially not so close to a race. It's a dangerous enough sport as it is, even with all your wits about you. The evening before the race, I tried to communicate this to her, subtle-like, by making certain very delicate adjustments to the gear wheels and camshaft lobes of her Mark V elegante a thirty-year-old gentleman's carriage of rusting steel and tarnished chrome, with a six-pound lump hammer. Every blow rang and echoed through the bodywork up to where she sat, strapped into the single leather seat, bolted securely to the makeshift roll cage high in the curragal's cockpit. Her voice drifted to me between echoes of the racket I was making, burbling stoned nonsense. "'Blood and hydraulic fluid shall stain the sand,' A mess of limbs, metal fused to—no, suffused with flesh. The delicate skin flayed back, and inside, taut cables moving with the implacable vitality of clockwork where mere muscle should suffice. To my ear, I said, that sounds like a recipe for gangrene. Eyes are surer witnesses than ears, Fangio dear, she said, barely slurring the words. I clouted an armature one stop over with my lump hammer. The gig shifted before righting itself on its suspension with a queasy bobbing motion, and she swore as she dropped her nargile, which shattered to iridescent beetle fragments on the workshop's concrete floor, foul water spilling and spreading in rivulets. Oops, I lied, straightening up and distributing the oil more evenly about my hands with the help of a rag. I leaned back down, tweaked a spring with my needle-nose pliers, then stood back, giving a mock bow. She arched an eyebrow so slim it might have been painted on, and delicately hocked a lump of glistening lung filth onto the oil stains and bong water coating the workshop floor. Stand out the way then, old man. Let's see what this baby's got. I stepped back. She caressed the control rods, depressed the various pedals, and the curricle gave a sickening lurch to the left. Quicker than silver, she manipulated the controls again and it righted itself, jerked sideways with a toddler's gait, its great bird-knees legs performing an ungainly percussive tattoo on the concrete floor. With a teeth-grinding, gaunching noise, the left leg sprang up to nestle underneath the bodywork like a giant metal flamingo, then the gig took on a slow but inevitable list until it fell with a clatter, brass legs kicking spasmodically, steel claws flexing and grasping at nothing but air. A mancinita, hanging from her harness in the roll cage, eyed me evilly upside down. I sighed and reached into the toolbox to retrieve the heavy chain needed to haul the ungainly contraption upright. "'Slight adjustment needed there, mate,' I said and then had to dodge sideways as she manipulated the controls and tried to squish me with the coracle's working leg. In all fairness, I mused, if that were to happen out on the track with the great Dormel, degenerate dwarf fiddler that he is, that he is, bearing down upon you, you might not walk away. He'll be sure to have ironed up his gig until it resembles a dreadnought on legs, a cataphract without the horse. Uh, will you please, Amancinita said sweetly, get me out of this bloody thing before my brain runs out of my nose. After we'd righted and repaired her, the great backward-jointed legs scissored with smooth precision. It was a joy to watch Amancinita pilot the thing about the courtyard before the workshop. And, as any curricul fancier knows, the Mark V Elegante isn't the most maneuverable gig ever constructed but a manzanita can make it wheel on a halfpenny, make the rear end shimmy like a flirtatious coquette as it ate up the ground with long loping strides. Racing curricles as we do is in itself a fool's pastime, a sport practised by thrill jockeys and desperados, yet the talent and skill of the pale, shaven-headed girl as she whirled the contraption about made the idea of bodily injury seem ridiculous, nebulous, an old tale to frighten babes. She completed a final circuit of the yard, gathering speed despite the frost on the cobbles, her breath streaming along behind her as the clawed feet struck up chips of stone that whizzed like shrapnel through the air. The performance brought forth a gaggle of urchins from the surrounding alleyways. As a manzanita brought the thing clacking and slewing to a halt, they let out a ragged cheer, which she acknowledged by making the gig dip upon its legs, giving them a bow. Final tests run, she spun the gig about and stalked it back into the workshop. I waved to the greasy street kids and hauled the rusty metal doors shut. I meant had already parked up and released herself from the harness. She leapt from the seat to the ground, turned upon a heel and gently stroked the bluish metal hull, scarred as it was with weld marks from the extra reinforcing needed to prepare it for the coming race. A good day's work, Fangio. Let's repair to the gear and sprocket and get pissed. I frowned. Only the one, Amenzanita. A hangover won't make that gig dance any better tomorrow. She made a face and skipped happily before me, jangling the buckles of the heavy leather racer's apron, over to where her tunic hung on a hook amidst the various spare armatures and gear wheels that decorated the workshop wall. She shot me a glance over her shoulder, then shucked off the protective garment while I wiped down and packed away the tools, taking inordinate care to degrease the spanners. Later, we sat in companionable silence in the smoky confines of the gear and sprocket. Amancita's mood had settled into the cool steadiness that I regard as a natural curricle pilot's pre-race mindset, alert yet relaxed. conservation of resources for the morrow's toils. I glanced away from her steady gaze at the lithographs and woodcuts decorating the tavern's walls, etchings of great curricle pilots past and their fabled mechanical steeds. I recognized a gaggle of mechanics and groupies clustering around the bar. It was too early for most of the pilots. They would crawl in later, start off a serious bout of pre-race drinking, steadying their nerves or drowning them in rot gut and ale. A callow youth with an unruly shock of hair bleached a savage chemical blonde, emerged from the familiar press around the bar, and sat himself down at our table. A mancinita swiveled in her chair. The youth's acne-scarred face was split in an ingratiating grin, and when I saw he carried a large scrappy notebook and a pencil, I groaned. Do "'I have the pleasure of addressing Miss Amancinita, the banger-rider.' "'How much are you going to sell her autograph for?' I asked, glowering over my beer. "'We're thinking of starting to charge, you know. Cut in on a piece of your action.' "'Shut up, Fangio,' said Amancinita, turning to the boy. "'I am indeed she.' She smiled sweetly at him. "'Who would you like me to address it to? Or have you an etching that you wish me to sign?' Your grease monkey has misconstrued the situation, miss. I am in fact a reporter, and have been commissioned to write for the Bargeld Journal of Cultural Studies upon the subject of curacal banger racing. His eyes shine glassily. My beer had gone bad, well, worse, in my mouth. If there's one thing worse than a bloody googly-eyed fan, it's a googly-eyed hack. A manzanita obviously did not share my misgivings. I'd be delighted to grant you an interview, she said, batting her eyelashes at him. I rolled my eyes and made groaning noises. Fangio, she snapped, go and get another round. I grumbled assent and made for the bar. When I returned with drinks, they were in full flow. I did my best to ignore them, but the boy's insistent yapping cut through my carousing. Did she fear death? What was her preferred make of curricle? How many races had she won? What did she think of her chances tomorrow in the cup? All was going well, it seemed, until the little Pratt overstepped the mark. Her manzanita was actually preening in the flickering lamplight, running a hand through her stubble as if to comb it back out of her eyes, and the youth himself seemed drugged on sensationalism and intellectual pretension, his pencil scritching its way across page after page, filling his little book with the Manzanita's youthful boasts and her narcotically inspired bodywork apotheosis in which metal should ripple and shift in liquid congress. Though I was doing my best to drown myself in the piss that passed for beer within the sprocket, an approximation of the following swam to my ears. Did she have any aspirations to one day graduate from the sport, to race non-contact? I winced. This wouldn't be pretty. But at least, I reasoned, the bloody interview would now be over with. Manzanita's eyebrows seemed to be trying to coalesce into one— knitting in the centre of her scowl, and I saw her knuckles go white as she gripped the edge of the rough wooden bench. Why, she said through hardly gritted teeth, would I want to do that? The youth seemed pleased to exacerbate his folly. Because you have talent, he squeaked, why would you waste your time amongst and here he waved his quill pen in a foppish manner that took in the ancient scarred wood of the bar, the tattooed and oil-stained clientele, the low-stained ceiling, and myself in one dismissive flourish. Well, surely you have ambitions. Yes, I'm going to wing the cup tomorrow. Then me and Fangio are going to go on a bender the likes of which the world has never seen. I flashed her a tight grin. Then I shall purchase me a harem of nubile boy flax to cavort about whilst they write me encomiums. Encomia? Don't interrupt, Fangio. She stared off into a dark, cobwebbed corner of the bar. Where was I? Fantasizing. Yes, quite. She turned once again to the hack. Look, Mr. Writer. Justin. Mr. Writer, you might not realize this, but I love this sport. I love it deep and fierce and true. But it's dangerous, he riffled in his notebook. Look, here's the statistics. Non-contact racing. She cut short his attempt to derail her with a wave of her hand, a gesture simultaneously prissy and dismissive. Yes, it's dangerous, and it's kind of stupid. But it's fun, Mr. Writer. It's a buzz, like, like getting high or dancing or sex, you know? "'It's like running down the street in the rain. "'It's something that makes you feel alive, "'and you don't need corporate sponsors to do it.' "'But,' and he was in full-on burble mode now, "'but bless him, he tried to press on. "'It's... it's undignified. "'It's not... I mean, it's messing about with old Rex. "'There's no... he shook his head. "'It's pointless. It's... it's such a waste.' She giggled at him, a noise she rarely made unless high. (laughs) But what isn't a waste, dear Mr. Writer? What in this world repays exactly what you give? I shook my head, finished my beer and took my leave. I like watching gigs collide, but the clash of opinions leaves me cold. There's not enough sparks and things hardly fall off at all. Later that night, after snaffling a dodgy takeaway from a cart on Thanon Newbouton, I creaked open the door to the workshop. I should have gone home. I know that. I had no real reason for being there apart from an anxiety placating need to give the gig one final going over. Grease monkey superstition, mecha magical voodoo, certain obscure obeisances to make before wicked and ancient vehicular gods. For luck, if you like. A shaft of witch-light, the eerie glow that emanates from the roof of the Three Queens' Palace, lanced past me through the doorway, caught an edge of the curricle, glinted back like the gleam in the eye of a lover of negotiable virtue in the Platz Pacquiao. As I banged open the door and scrabbled for my matches, there came a gasp from the darkness, then muffled sounds of movement, of weight shifting within the elegante's cockpit, a wet slap, the creak of the harness, whispers, the sound of labored breathing. A giggle stifled. Whoever you are and whatever you're doing, I barked, blinking against the acrid smoke from my lucifers as they killed what little night vision I had, free hands scrabbling about in the semi-dark from my lump hammer. You damage that gig and you're going to get this lump hammer rammed so far up your... Fangio, really? said a voice drifting down from the region of the Alagante's cockpit. Doing it with workshop tools isn't my thing. Manzanita, what in all the infernal hells are you doing in here at this time of night? I turned away, relieved, and scrabbled until I found the torch that hung on a bracket just inside the door. As I applied my match, the torch gutted into life, light flickering across the crumbling brickwork. "'Do us a favour, Fangio, mate. Don't turn around.' "'What?' "'Just don't. Just don't turn around. Stay there, like that. And uh, throw us up that old blanket, the one hanging by the door.' "'How can I do that if I can't turn around?' I said, feeling bloody stupid. Are you high again? It's a bit close to the race. Just Fangio, throw us the blanket, please. I swore under my breath and did as I was bid, bundling it up and tossing it awkwardly over my head. For what it's worth, she was wrong. I should have turned around. Their dignity wasn't worth what happened next. The soft whoosh of the fabric through the air, then the thud as the Manzanita and the reporter toppled, naked, still in their clinch from the precarious seat of the gig, to land awkwardly on the concrete floor. The snap her arm made as it broke might have been the worst noise that I'd heard up until that point in my life. Worse than a curricle's leg giving way against a stadium wall, more final than a transaxle locking solid and smashing itself to pieces, sadder than the whine as the lobes stripped the cams off a seized-gig engine. It was the worst noise until exactly a second later, when a scream tore its way out of her, possibly even before the pain hit—a high, wordless shriek of rage and bitter disappointment, of thwarted dreams and crushed ambition, ringing back off the metal of the elegante, eddying out of the workshop into the night. A sawbones, I knew, off the Platz Pacquiao, reset her arm, splintered it roughly, gave her something for the pain. Though she made me go back to the workshop and retrieve her stash tin, as she insisted, medical grade has all the good shit taken out. I could hardly refuse, and to be honest, I wanted to be out of there, away from the lip-wobbling reporter, guilt haunting his face, and the impossibly optimistic young racer still trying to come up with ways that she could pilot her gig with one useless arm, eyes glassy from the painkillers but swollen with tears. I guess she knew the awful truth, that she probably couldn't even climb up into the cockpit in that state, let alone pilot the thing. I stumbled through the early morning, through that weird hour when the witch light, beginning to wane, and the bluish glow of pre-dawn meet and mingle, when the denizens of the night meet, in passing, with a weary nod, those whose business occurs during the day. I'd left the workshop unlocked, but somehow all my toolboxes were still where I'd left them. Possibly the gods had granted me a boon, or perhaps they were merely mocking me, showing me how fickle their will was. I poked about on the workshop floor until I found her battered tin, then I glanced up and caught sight of the elegante sitting there, weird and hieratic as a burnished metal praying mantis in the early morning light. I crumpled, sobbing against the rough brick wall, wretched as any Marthicorris tortured for sport in the arena, alone as only someone who smashed the dreams of a friend can be. A rage, senseless and self directed, took me, and I hefted the lump hammer in shaking hands, but I couldn't do that. A gig like the Elegante deserved better, deserved to go out in a shower of sparks and the shriek of twisting plate on a track, under the screams of the crowd, not alone in a workshop, victim of a failure's misdirected rage. I contemplated taking the hammer to myself hefted its weight in my hand, my eyes still on the curricle before me. Then I made my decision. Walking out of the pits to the starting line, every step of the elegante shook me to my soul, rattled the teeth in my head and fired aches in joints I'd forgotten I'd had. The padded leather seat so ample for her slim frame buckled under my weight and I'd had to cut part of the harness away so I could squeeze into the cockpit. After so long away from the controls of a gig meant for racing, my fumblings sent her skittering as if the machine were drunk or nervous, and my cheeks burned with embarrassment as I fought to bring it under control. But the crowd, tear upon tear, standing up and cheering from the bleachers. The noise louder than cannon fire, louder than the world cheers and the chants and the yells like a solid thing, the frenzy and the tumult of the bookies signalling odds in their occult semaphore as the fools surged around them waving their slips or money in their hands, the glint of the sunlight on the ranks of curricles, flexing and stamping impatiently on the starting line, copper and iron and nickel and steel, The sun flashing back off the lenses of the pilot's goggles, lower halves of their faces muffled by thick scarves like the nomads of the great southern waste. The elaborate paint jobs that some had spent a month's wages upon, flames and griffins and dragons chasing each other across the gigs. The great Dormel, hunched over the controls of his huge silver Type 3 tomahawk, the stump of his wrist embedded into the elaborate mechanism fashioned specially for him. The flags waving in the crowd and the homemade banners held aloft scrolled with encouragement or abuse. I realized that I'd missed it. Missed the sharpening of every sense, the smell of hot metal and gear oil in my nostrils, the thrill of it, the pageantry of it. Missed the fear boiling in my stomach and fizzing along every nerve. Then, too soon, too soon before I could drink it all back in again. The starter fired his pistol and we all lunged forward, multicoloured sparks striking as chassis met chassis. metal bent and split, paintwork flaked. Two curricles tried to ram each other in front of me, tangled their legs like amateurs and went down in a pile of twisted metal. I jerked at the controls and stomped on the control pedals, sending the Elegante leaping over them to land awkwardly on the far side. Though shaken by the impact, I managed to time the working of the legs well enough to stay upright, and momentum, and a fair amount of luck, sent the Elegante lurching down the track. I twisted in the harness and checked behind me. Personal vendettas were being settled on the opening straight, old foes driving each other's gigs into the walls metal splitting and buckling across the rough stone with a noise like the screech of giant metal vultures. The track descended and came up hard to meet each footfall, jarring me in the seat, rattling my eyes and my head. Sweat beaded below my tight-fitting leather helmet and ran down the inside of my goggles. The cockpit swung wildly upon the legs. The world seemed to be swaying whilst I ran straight and true. Through a swirling cloud of dust, I clipped the bobbing rear end of a mint green Excalibur, and it skittered sideways, taking out a tottering mako that should really have been in a museum, painted in the delicate metallic purple of the Lotus Eaters. The Excalibur pilot was better than I gave them credit for, however, and whipped their gig back across the track, trying to plow into my side to bury the elaborate metalwork of its prow into the soft flank of the Elegante. I slowed the cyclics of the mechanism a fraction, and the Excalibur careered past me, striking sparks as we glanced off each other. Then, as I frantically sought to give pace to the machine, lest someone latch onto the back of her, the first corner loomed before me, a great mess of ratcheting limbs and shattered curricles wrapped around one another so tightly that there was no way through, debris and sheared armatures and crippled gigs filling the width of the track, piled too high to jump over. I prayed silently to such deities as might be listening that the reinforcing welds would hold and gunned my craft into the pileup. Before I could reach it, I felt the telltale twitch as a gig nestled behind my own. Craning my head around, I saw the great door silver tomahawk latched to the elegante's rear, felt the judder in the controls as he gathered speed. He intended to use me as a battering ram, clear some of the wreckage away with me, the curricle banger racer's greatest fear. It didn't matter that my craft would be wrapped so tightly about his that he might not be able to walk away. Mine would be in kit form, and probably me with it. The tomahawk's great legs scissored. The huge, serrated bulk of its chassis glinted in the sun. Behind his scarf, he was probably grinning like a cadaver. I gave him a curt salute, then quickly manipulated the controls, folding the elegante's legs back under the body. With a clash of metal on metal, the blades of our limbs met, and for a second that seemed to stretch like golden syrup falling from a spoon, we hung in the air, suspended forever before the rearing mass of wreckage. Then. And whatever he'd had done to it, I cannot tell you. I cannot imagine what arcane fixtures had been welded or magic to the shafts. The world restarted as the legs of his curacle sheared clean through the elegante's own, and the decapitated chassis of my gig hit the deck with an impact that knocked the wind out of me and then bounced up and went spinning arse over tea kettle across the track. All sound receded. The eerily silent crowd, the wall, the track beneath, the blue sky overhead, all rolled past crazily, and I had just enough foresight to hunker down on the seat and pull my limbs inside the roll cage as well as I could before I met the wall in an explosion of noise, and everything went mercifully black. Swimming up from the depths into which I'd been cast by the thaumaturgics and the morphine, I could barely recognize her voice. Her face swam into view, coalescing from a stain of white against the lamplight. The smell of a sick room, that sour reek of unwashed bodies and gangrene flesh. The smell of carbolics and dried blood. Her good hand cool against my skin. Fanch. You stupid bastard, she said, wincing as she tapped the sling on her arm. Did you just want to one-up me or what? I tried to nod, but my head felt welded to the pillows. Her face re-knitted itself, concerned pulling at it. It's okay, mate. It's okay. You rest. I settled back onto the cotton, let the world slip away from me again. There's always next to you, Fangio. I spoke to a bloke this morning. He knows where the, he, he knows where there's another elegante. Nearly no rust in her. And when, her voice hitched. She was never very good at lying. Uh, when you're better, you can strip her out and iron her up for me. And next year, Fange. next year, I'll gut that bastard. I'll gut him like a fish. She squeezed my hand in her own. Her fingers cool and soft, then bit her lip, but she couldn't stop the tears rolling down. The world slipped away, and I dreamed of gears, and finely wrought metal, the sheen of sunlight on a carriage's bodywork, the ratchets of great armatures winding down.
0: Our mechanic is quite correct in seeking out those older vehicles. I would not dream of driving an automobile which did not possess a proper bumper. These new models with their cosmetic plastic fairings, I ask you, how is one to drive offensively without a proper bumper? I suddenly have an urge to go to the garage and tinker on the old jalopy. That means it is time for you to move along. Do come visit us next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. If you like the show, tell your friends, because you certainly won't find it by searching for steampunk. Our theme song is Ashes, Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. This episode was produced in March of twenty eighteen. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious dot com.